The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Shall we begin? Smiley is a suspicious person. You won't know who to trust. Welcome back, fellow spy nerds, to the Spies Like Us podcast. That is, of course, the podcast where we discuss the tradecraft of, of from screens large and small. I'm Todd. I'm Fred. Hi, spy nerds. Yes, hello, nerds. Fred, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about a spy among friends. Uh, probably the greatest spy story ever. Uh, John le Carre did a fictionalized version of it. He probably wouldn't have done that if the real thing actually happened. A guy named Kim Foley uh, became a Russian mole and rose, rose to the top of British intelligence and Russian counterintelligence, incredibly, through World War II and the early 60s and then got away. And it's amazing yes. how many people don't know about this story. Regarded by many as possibly the most successful spy of all time, Kim Philby. This, uh, and and yeah, this is a um, 2022 miniseries called A Spy Among Friends, which is specifically the story about uh, Kim Philby. It's available to stream on ITVX in the UK. Uh, from December, uh, Amazon Prime in Canada and MGM Plus in the U.S. as of uh, the time of this recording. Mm -hmm. um, please do seek it out. If you like spy stories, this one is really, really good. Um, but you have to pay attention, right, Todd? Oh, There's, yeah. Uh, it could do with a little more. I always thought, uh, you know, um, what do we call subtitles about who, when, and where. A lot of stun in the shadows, lots flashbacks to World War II, and then flashback again or flashback up again. So you really can't be texting or doing anything else. <laughs> no, no, no. And, I, you know, as I've said to Todd, I read the book and I was lost sometimes. Recently read the book. I have a feeling that we're going to spend more time just actually untangling exactly what the story here is than even criticizing the uh, tradecraft and honestly i mean as far critiquing the tradecraft there's not that much to, crit to criticize here um it is a but this is a work of dramatic fiction but it's based on a biography um mm -hmm. which was written by let's see oh ben mcintyre in 2015 yep. bestseller yep. uh it's called a spy among friends kim philby and the great betrayal um he has written numerous books detailing mm -hmm. famous spy stories from history, yes, and he's frequently praised for the fact that his historical accounts read like thrillers. So uh, would you agree with that, uh, yes. Fred? Did you like yes, I've read, I, I've read some of his other books, too. Almost all of the characters in this miniseries, which, by the way, is a six-episode miniseries with no further episodes planned. It's all, it's all done. Almost all the characters are based on real-life people with their real names. The most notable exception is one of the main char characters, Lily Tomlin. Lily Thomas. Great. Is a com yes. composite. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's the MI she plays the MI5 uh, agent who is assigned to debrief Nicholas Elliott, a friend of Kim Philby's. She's fictional. Uh, also, some, some of the events, notably this one little subplot, is uh to as far as i can tell totally ahistorical didn't happen in the book 
but they added it in the miniseries. We'll, we'll flag that when we get to it. So more nuts and bolts of the series. The featured agencies here, uh, the primary ones are the British SIS and MI5, uh, with CIA and KGB also involved. SIS is the British Secret Intelligence Service. This is what I see, as at least as an American, more commonly referred to in modern times as MI6. Um, they first started referring to themselves as MI6 at the start of World War II, even though the um, SIS had, you know, al already been in existence. It probably dates back to World War I, at least. Yeah. Currently, it seems that at least in Britain, the two terms are interchangeable. Yeah, the M1, the MI stood for military intelligence. Ah, ah, okay, excellent. And um, as we always say, the uh, MI5, MI6 generally corresponds to our American FBI and CIA, respectively. Uh, I see a lot of friction a lot of class friction, I would call it, in big, the um, big time. Yep, be, between yep. MI5 and and MI6. And, in this, and let's take you know. the analogy even further. Same thing, I would argue, between the FBI and the CIA. All right, Describe FBI it. in this country was more like Italian Irish former cops, right? Uh, more blue collar, right? Mm -hmm. uh, compared to the Ivy League CIA, the Dulleses of the world, um, that so you see that same chasm, that same class split over here as you did over there. Right. The CIA famously uh, founded uh, drawing on uh, elite youth from uh, like Princeton and Harvard kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if I remember the story right. So yeah, yeah. definitely uh, highlighting some some class differences here. Uh, which I thought was really interesting, really interesting. But um, yeah, Lily is definitely, though, she is uh, Nick's equal, I would say, in, in terms of uh, playing the game. Mm -hmm. um, I was a little, I'm going to say, I was a little confused at first about the actors playing Flora Solomon and Jane Sismore. Um, do you know the two characters I'm talking about? Yeah. Flora Solomon being another friend of Kim Philby's. Jane Sismore is uh, an MI5 lady that's sitting in on the on the debriefings with Lily. At first, I thought it was the same person. Mm -hmm. um, there's another actor. There's another actor that that plays Philby's girlfriend or love interest, let's say, in flashbacks, and the Russian agent in Moscow that's watching him. They also look really similar. I have actually not yet decided if I think that's supposed to be the same person. Um, because we never hear the Russian lady's name. Or, and she's German in both cases. She's not Russian. He's the um, one she married to get her out of the country. Right, right. During World War II. So I just would say in both of those cases, I think the casting department could have maybe done a little uh, better job to differentiate the, the, the characters. Um other actors in here, uh, Damian Lewis. I talked about him before when uh, Dave and I did our episode on Homeland. I remember being kind of unimpressed with Damian Lewis at the time. Man, oh man, he brings it in this show. Did you see Homeland? Yeah, but 
we were introduced to him. For, I don't know if you've ever seen the series Band of Brothers. That was his first big role where he played the, the officer of all those brothers. Did I you did not, see that? I did not watch that. Is he good in okay. that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was That's when he first came on the scene. And that's what I think people will forever remember him as. I'm going to remember him for this. Um, what I think is going on there, this is my suspicion. In Homeland, remember, he plays a kind of a, um, you know, um, a broken man, a man who is very shut down, and a man who we're supposed to wonder whether or not he's been turned by the, um, not it's not the Taliban. God, I'm stupid today. Al-Qaeda. And so he's very much keeping all his emotions in. So I think he just didn't have much to do with the character in terms of being expressive. But I think he's a fantastic actor. But, you know, it's, here's another thing with me. <laughs> the book has pictures of Philby, right? And Elliot. <laughs> and if I was, I thought for sure when I saw the previews, I thought for sure Philby was going to be played by Damian Lewis and Guy Pierce. Uh, would have been Elliot. Because, did you see the pictures? The same thing happened to me. Do you know what I mean? Okay. We talked about it. Okay. Well, I didn't know you agreed with that. I kept thinking, and then then once they started watching it, I thought, I kept thinking that the one was the other until finally I had to slap myself out of it. Because if they were just going on looks alone, Philby looked more like Damian Lewis. And the other way around, Elliot yeah. and Pierce. So I had I had trouble with that. We have talked, not you and me necessarily. You and me have talked a lot about Kim Philby, not necessarily on this podcast. Uh, in the old days, uh, we have talked about other movies that featured Kim Philby. Uh, he was played by Tom Hollander in our discussion about The Company, which is a 2007 miniseries. And by Billy Crudup in our discussion of The Good Shepherd, which was a 2006 film. Both stories were from an American-centric view in which Kim Philby's character was just very much like off, kind of off to the side. He was like a subplot. But this is definitely a story about Kim Philby that we have here, which is something you have been asking for, right? Yeah. And and they exist, Fred. I looked, I looked. There There are other movies about Kim Philby. You can find them. Right. I will remember once we started digging, but they weren't necessarily, you know, that great to jump up and okay. down about. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, you just you describe you describe um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy as being kind of a. You, you think yeah, it was, was. It was yeah. the fictional. And I. What I think is funny is that I don't think he would have, even the great John Le Carre. Could have ever, because I've always said, if any fictionalized author, La Carre or others, came up with this plot, it would be handed back by the editor saying, no, this is too over the top, right? So I don't even think he could have, I don't even think he would have dreamed that plot up if it didn't already happen with Philby. Because it's so incredible that it happened, you know? And then we find out (laughs) that the main theme without giving, and this doesn't, but the, we touched on it a little bit. That good old boy, arrogant, British, stiff upper lip, even beyond, they couldn't imagine, even though there were clues in hindsight, 
they couldn't imagine anyone, especially anyone as charismatic as Philby, would dream of taking a different path. And that's the thing. <laughs> Everything I've read about Philby, as much as I'm sure once he got to Moscow, he missed you know, the creature comforts of life, let alone the long lines in the gum department. He was a hardcore communist believer. And I don't, and see, here's another thing that the problem I have with the series. I don't think the writers would accept that. I think that's the great irony. I think the writers of this series invented that whole Angleton in Moscow and turning him into a third agent because they couldn't even conceive that somebody could be a hardcore ideological communist that didn't have anything to do with money or a love trap. That's the irony. This whole thing talks about the arrogance of the British upper crust who couldn't imagine this happening and then let him go. And I think that the writers were guilty of that same thing because they couldn't imagine it. Or, I was talking to my wife about this. She made the point. She said, or they didn't think the viewers would accept it. Uh, that somebody could be this. I want to hold off on, I have thoughts on this. I want to hold off on them until, until we get there uh, for my thoughts personally. Um, but I agree with you absolutely. He was hiding in plain sight at the highest level, highest level. Um, in short, he was an SIS officer who uh, secretly worked for the KGB between World War II and 1963. In 1963, after being unmasked, he uh, fled to the de defected to the USSR. Um, he wasn't a, an SIS agent at that time, though. There was a point which we're going to have to talk about, about when uh, he kind of has to resign. Um, but so there's a period of time where he's actively an SIS officer working for the KGB. But then afterwards, he's a journalist in Beirut, but he's still working for the KGB uh, for years before uh, he gets uh, unmasked. The um, Well, and then that's where Elliot keeps dangling the well there's still hope you know if you come clean you can come home and get your pension and right that's right that's right um i really like the characterization of the of uh the characterizations in this show i think nick like again damian lewis really good i think he's so good at being like very clever with his wordplay and jokes and always seeming to not really take things seriously and, and having this little air of like, you know, oh yeah, like, haha, but I know stuff you don't know and I'm up, uh, above your level. And the, But what's funny I think about it is it's the sort of thing where he thinks he's getting away with it, but really smart people can totally see through him. And I love how- well, What did the one, yeah, that one woman who you were cons confused with, she said that Kim once said, Something about him to that, you know, everybody thinks or he puts on these airs of not being in touch, but he's on all the time. Something along those lines. I thought I wrote it down. You know, one of those women that you said that you were. Yes. Laura Solomon said that, said that Kim said that about Nick. Yeah. Um, but that he uh, was on. He was, on, I guess, something like he was on more than he let on to be. Right. 
So while Nick's sense of humor is kind of snide and off-putting and a little elevated, Kim's sense of humor is much more warm and flattering. Like Kim draws you in by being funny. Nick kind of puts you off, puts a wall in between you, but but Kim has this sense of humor that like draws you in. And I almost kind of think that Nick was like just trying to imitate that he uh, admired Kim's ability to be clever and put people at ease and that he thinks that's what he's doing, but he's, but he's not, he's just not as good at it as both he and Angleton are swept up with his charisma and they're wannabes. They try too hard and they're not, they just don't have Kim's charisma. Right. With, with Nick humor is like uh, a deflection and with uh, Kim, it's an invitation to to be his friend. And right. then Angleton, in the the when we see them all together, he almost seems like like you know uh, just like kind of a little bit of a nerdy third wheel. He right. seems a weirdo. You know, he really yeah. went in once once this whole thing um, blew up. He went paranoid. He started purging people in the CIA. They finally let him go. He got obsessed with his orchids. He had this big greenhouse of orchids he's the one that came up with or the wilderness of mirrors which is a common spy term mm-hmm. yes um and that the very wilderness of mirrors drove him nuts especially after kim because he looked for a spy under everybody's bed after that <laughs> yes that's correct we're doing some i just really think there's so much material here we're doing this one a little different we're just going to talk about ep- the first three episodes tonight we're going to do the other three episodes next month um, I think it's going to be worth it. So some of the things here we'll just will not be able to resolve, and some of them we probably shouldn't uh, try to discuss in too much detail. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. Okay. So first and overall, because this show runs through multiple narratives, and it does cut back and forth quite quickly i think too quickly uh in a lot of cases i think yeah i I think i told you i read the book and i had trouble following it yeah i think i think the editors could switch to decaf maybe um yeah but uh so at the very beginning okay so this is just the overall overview of the structure the very beginning mi5 has finally figured out philby and with flora solomon's testimony sealing the deal she is a friend of Philby's. In fact, she's the one that introduced him to his wife. She's also a friend of Nick's. They all know each other. Nick from SIS is dispatched to Beirut to try to talk Philby into coming in. They'll have four days of conversation in an SIS safe house that is, of course, bugged and everything's being recorded, after which Philby defects. Lily of MI5, this is our fictional character, Although I'm sure someone from MI5 <laughs> debriefed Nick, right? Um, she's assigned to, you know, ask Nick basically what happened in Beirut and further what happened through this whole 20, you were friends for 25 years. Are we really supposed to believe you didn't know? Um, and also how long do you think Philby was actually a spy? They, they don't know that yet. Um, well, and they... <laughs> I think Nick knows, but he knows how important it is for the Americans' ear to hear that it was just up to World War II, because he knows 
the Americans would raise holy hell and want a piece of Philby if it was after World War II, because that meant he would be spying on them as well. Right. So that right. was important. Nick Nick knew that in those recorded sessions, he said he was very careful to say yes, he was spying up until forty five when the war was over, because right. he knew that the Americans would raise holy hell. And he admits that to her later on when they talk without the microphone on. So yes, and also the so you know Nick is Nick is under suspicion here. They for all they know he could have been working with Philby this whole time. I mean, after all, he argued very vociferously to be sent to Beirut to try to talk Philby into coming in, and he comes back empty-handed. Doesn't look good for Nick. Well, they also throw in the caveat, uh, she did, was her name Lily? Lily. The composite, yeah. She she doesn't necessarily think he's a spy, but she just thinks he's desperate to salvage his career. In other words, to get, what does he get from him? You know, he's got to get something from it rather than the chicken feed that he does get. Right. A few pieces of paper that he writes. She feels that, you know, career-wise, he needs to go back to London with something. Um, and then that's where the speculation about the double agent stuff comes in and right. then going well, out on the balcony. The deal, supposed, the deal is supposed to be Nick is going to offer uh, Kim yeah. uh, immun immunity and a quiet retirement in mm -hmm. return for a full confession of everything that he did for the Russians. And, of course, uh, now he does come back with a signed confession, um, but as you say, Lily dismisses it as chicken feed. Chicken feed is the spy term for, uh, you know, like just gar garbage, garbage intelligence. It's yeah. kind of meant to look, look authentic, um, but it's not. And over on the other side of things after Beirut, Philby is being interrogated by his KGB handler, who has pretty much the same questions and suspicions about what happened in Beirut. He's also looking at the situation and saying, how did you get away so easily? Why did in the balcony, Right. And that view from the balcony, they knew, they knew that the Russians would be watching that. So they want to put a question in their head there about what did they talk about on the balcony? In other words, are we talking about, you know, triple agent stuff? Um, so that right. was their consumption too. That, that appearance on the balcony between the two of them also had the Russians suspicious of what was going on. Yes. Everyone, everyone wants to know what yeah. happened in Beirut and especially everyone wants to know what happened on the balcony. Cause there's this one part in Beirut where they stepped in just for three minutes. They had a conversation on the balcony, which was not recorded. Now mm -hmm. the series splits off into all of these multiple narratives, the precise content of the four day conversations that Nick and Philby had in Beirut are spread out through the entire series. We don't get to see it all at once. Um, then there's the present day following Nick as he reacts to Philby's defection and the mistrust of himself uh, as he's being interrogated by MI5, following Philby in Russia as he's being interrogated by the Russians and uh, getting used to his new life. Both of these are peppered with flashbacks pertaining to their 25 history friendship. Then there's also the story of Lily as she's trying to figure out if Nick's story holds up. James Angleton is going to come on the scene. He's going to get his own scenes as well. Mercifully, Lily and James Angleton don't also get flashbacks. <laughs> no. so, 
So the story's only split up into what is it? One, two, three, four, just five, five sections that we just keep jumping back and forth between. Um, I think it's, I think it's very good. You had, you had told me, you had warned me when, before I got a chance to start watching it. That's pretty tough to follow. And I got to the end of the first episode and I said, hold on, I'm going to start over. (laughs) I don't think I know what's going on. Yeah. But as you say, you know, uh, by, by paying diligent attention on my second uh, go through, you know, I, I, I think I got it all. I think I got it all. It, it, it helps, too, to have those plot synopses handy, you know, that you can get online. That's what I do. I get those plot synopses. And, yeah. Uh, you know, they're pretty general, but sometimes I pick up things. And, and as, uh, you said, as you said, doesn't hurt to watch this one with the subtitles on. Really, yeah. really kind of helps. Yeah, I do. Um, Helps my note taking. Yeah. So there's the overview. Let's talk about what we know about Beirut from the three from the three episodes we watched. As we said, Nick has convinced Britain to let him go and try to bring Philby in. Philby agrees to an invitation to an SIS safe house in Beirut where he's surprised. Well, I mean, he didn't know it was going to be Nick there, but he says, oh, somehow I thought it would be you. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's here that Nick tells Philby, okay, you've been blown. We got four days to try to talk you in. And right, and, and better me than M15. M15 wanted to, you know, tear mm-hmm. you to pieces, you know, playing kind of the good cop to M15's bad cop. Right. But what's really critical to understand here at all times is that both Nick and Kim are master spies. They have to, in every scene you're in, you have to be considering that both of them absolutely understand that their conversations are not entirely private. They both know they could be being observed or listened to by any number of interested parties of any time. And so the context of their conversations might look to one observer like betrayal and to another observer as just maintaining my cover. Um, well, so which, is, which begs the question why... Um, Philby thought that chicken feed on paper would pass any muster. Yeah. You know, if they're both super spies, you know, they would have seen through that and did, right? If the whole idea between him and Nick is that Nick just, and on behalf of SIS, is just trying to um, keep a fig leaf on this, you know, it's important that at least there is this eight pages of confessions from Philby, even if they're all bullshit. You know, you have to have something to point to. Even you would th- I mean, there's the thing. Any reasonable person who was looking for a way out, way out would have taken that fig leaf and offer from Elliot, which leads you to, you know, it's more ammunition that Philby was hardcore communist. Now, that does seem to be the case. Um so the, their conversations are a very delicate dagger dance between the two men. They have a 25-year friendship between them, which means that they, there are a lot of nuances that they could, you know, be talking about things that they could mention to each other, ways that they could phrase things that, like, mm-hmm. only they would understand the meaning of between the two of them. And the people that are observing them, both on the Western and the Eastern side, they're aware of that, too. Everyone, No one's... Um, there are no babes in the woods, uh, so to speak, in this series. 
the big <laughs> reference <laughs> when he threw out there and made an analogy, Philby, of himself to Jesus, Elliot said, you can't be comparing yourself to Jesus, right? So that he didn't catch that, but Angleton did. Right, right, right? yeah, right. right. He threw that, I mean, if that's, if we're to believe the writers on that, he didn't catch that. And, uh, oh, and Lily did, the Jesus yes. referenced, yes. right? That that was a signal to Angleton that I'm ready to be turned. She is picking up on every little tiny thing. We're, yeah, we're, we've got to talk. I'll, I'll mention it now. Just right from the beginning, I like this. The very first thing Kim Philby says when he sees Nick at the safe house in Beirut is, I rather thought it might be you. Boom. She stops the tape and starts asking him, what did he mean by that? I love it. She is going to leave no stone unturned, mm -hmm. right? She is going into a deep analysis. I don't think Nick quite realizes when he begins his interrogation no. just how uh, diligent. No he, no, he tries to uh, geographically pinpoint her to Northumberland, you know, by her accent. In mm -hmm. other words, put her in her place, you know. Put her in her place, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a thing, but. She puts him in place. You, know? you don't. You don't interrogate me. Right. I detect. A, is it a northern accent? Northern Ambulan? Then she tells him whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, after a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. That 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 British snobbery throughout the whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. It's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think there's a there's a reason British dramas are are so uh, popular. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to go through and, and make sure we're uh, totally clear on what each agency has access to as far as direct intelligence of what happened in Beirut. Now, Nick and Kim, obviously, they both know exactly what they talked about, even though Kim will pretend that he doesn't remember some of it, which is very implausible. Um, SIS, I assume that the safe house was SIS. I assume that it's properly bugged except for the balcony and that SIS has all the recordings of their conversations and that SIS knows everything that Nick knows. Do you think Nick is holding anything back from SIS? We don't really see them in the mm. show much. No. Do you think he's holding anything back from SIS? Um, or do you think he's... he's only... Playing? Yeah, only whatever he wants to bring back to save his career you know what i'm saying like holy said you know um and i'm not sure what that would be if it would be just bring him back or the whole thing about turning him um i don't know but um yeah i think i i kind of agree with that that he's more interested in saving his career uh mi5 we know that mi5 has access to all the recordings from beirut except of course for the balcony uh, and boo on whoever bugged the place for not, I don't know, bugging the, oh, but actually there's a, there's a thing that'll come up. We can't talk about it yeah. right now. There's actually a yeah. reason the balcony, uh, yeah. in later episodes, we might find more information about that. Um, to me, it appears that KGB was aware of the Beirut meetings and that they were observing the hotel from outside, but doesn't have access to any recordings. And of course they have, you know, whatever Kim told them, um, CIA is not aware of the Beirut meetings in real time. However, notice that at times Nick will lie. Lie, I think. 
he'll tell Lily that he assumed the CIA was was listening. Um, I don't know if he believed that or not, but it doesn't seem like they were. It doesn't seem like they were aware of the Beirut meeting until later. Um, but sometimes it can be useful if you're lying to this person about what you said to this person, you could say that I only said that because I assumed that this other person was listening. Well, that's, that was exactly the, yeah, that was exactly what Elliot had in mind about the World War II thing. He was, he was protecting the British Secret Service when he said that. Mm -hmm. Because if the Americans thought that Philby was active after World War II, they would have been all over uh, the British Secret Service. So he was protecting the British Secret Service with that from the Americans. Yes, when yes. He sir. said that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an example of what you're talking about. There's a three minute long blank spot in the Beirut meetings near the end of the fourth day, right before Philby's defection. They have a short conversation on the balcony that is not recorded by anyone, but was observed by the KGB. And that content of that conversation, by the way, is not revealed to us, the audience, in this first three episodes, so we are not going to talk about it in this episode. You'll have to wait till next month. That is Beirut. Let's talk about Nick and Lily in what we'll call the current day of 1963. This is immediately after Philby's defection. Um, I struggle to find bad tradecraft in this series, but I'll put a little quick quibble right here. She's got this beautiful tape machine in the briefing room, and she only ever uses it to play back audio from Beirut. Shouldn't she be recording the debriefing? As I said, at first, I think Nick thinks he's just going to breeze through this, but he pretty she pretty quickly puts him on notice that she's not having any of his bullshit and that she's going to, like I said, leave no stone unturned. She's not only going to grill him about Beirut, but about everything about his relationship to Philby, starting with how they first met, uh, which is a great storytelling technique because this way we get to, you know, explore the entire uh, 25 history, 25 years of their history flashbacks. Um, well, a good example too is the whole thing with Flora. You know, he goes into great detail. Uh, about the World War II Nazi stuff and literally says, why didn't you just say you were having an affair? Why did you have to describe the whole um, Austria business regarding Litzy when he could have just said it was an affair? To which Nick says, he was probing to see what I knew, obviously. To which Lily says, obviously? You mean in retrospect. So she's all over that, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I had written down in my notes, maybe you remember, but like, okay, I keep describing that, like, again, he thinks it's going to be kind of smooth sailing. He's starting to realize that he's uh, maybe in more trouble than, than he, he realized. Something she said, some part of the conversation, he has a panic attack, pretty much. He has to excuse himself, stumbles to the bathroom. One of my principles, one of all my principles of... Uh, one of my most important principles of analyzing spy movies, because a lot of times the characters are saying things they don't mean, but watch what they do when they're alone. When mm -hmm. they know they're not being observed, that's when you get to see their true selves. And this panic, panic attack, and I guess the fact he forgot to take his insulin or something mm -hmm. that he does in the bathroom, reveals to us that he is truly 
something. The weight of this situation is really crushing in on him. Mm -hmm. Um, So at least something is not going according to his plan. He confesses to Lily. Now, when she asks him about motivation, communism stuff, like why why Philby do it, uh, he tells her that intelligence work in the SAS can be, I think he uses the word intoxicating. It can really be a thrill to lie directly to someone's face and, and get away with it. And he suggests that Philby's game, uh, double-sided play, being a double agent must have been, you know, doubly as intoxicating, especially when, as you say, like he's lying to like some of the people that think they are the smartest people in the world and he's pulling it off, Um, Mm -hmm. which is where I'm going to go later too. When uh, with Philby in Moscow, I think he still really wants to play the game. I think that's a sad part where I feel actually kind of sad for Philby how do you how do you like these characters? By the way, that's a good question to ask. <laughs> do you do you find um, do you find any sympathy or empathy for Philby, or do you just do you just really really hate? Um, him? No, I I actually <laughs> I I admire the <laughs> fact that it's pure ideology. It's not a honey trap. It's not for money. He is a true believer. And this is something that not only his friends couldn't get through their heads, but I maintain the writers either. That he wasn't ready to be turned. He didn't give a signal to Angleton to be a triple agent, you know? And uh, I admire the fact that he's a true believer. So, yes, the real life Philby, yeah. Not the guy in the series that they suggest could be turned. But in the book and in real life, I admire. I do end up feeling sad for him. Um, But it's interesting, you know, like, that's something that's uh, true as well about um, talking about spy movies is anytime we talk about a real life spy story, it always ends badly for the spy. Because if they didn't get caught, we wouldn't know the story, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we don't have any, we don't have any great, True to life spy stories yeah, where this look at the irony got, of this got away one. with everything scot free. Look at the iron. Look how long it took to get this one out. And it, you know, like you suggest, it came out in dribs and drabs in some movies and some miniseries, and then a fictionalized ver- version of it. But I, I think part of the reason why a lot of people don't know about it is how freaking embarrassing the whole thing was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, like I said, the book. <laughs> The book suggests that he was allowed to, to easily escape in Beirut because they didn't want to go through the trial and the embarrassment of it. Not that they were trying to turn him, right, which is a great pop, plot point but didn't happen, but the embarrassment of it. Let him go. What was the show or movie that we talked about? It was, um, it was the, the one with Kira Knightley. Official Secrets. Official Secrets. Uh, yeah. Where the the news guy goes and talks. He's worried about uh, what, what they're allowed to publish, you know, because mm-hmm. he's learning some stuff that, that might be sensitive to the government. And there's a certain act in Britain that says, you know, that talks about what you can and cannot publish. Right. 
regarding right. national secrets. And he goes to consult with this one guy who's supposed to be like the, the expert arbiter on that matter. And the guy basically tells him like, look, the golden rule here is there's a million different reasons that newspapers should not publish uh, government secrets, but preventing the government from being embarrassed isn't fucking one of right. them. <laughs> and, and most of every, most every cover up from the British to Watergate has been mostly embarrassment, not national secrets being jeopardized. It's been embarrassment from that oh, administration. Embarrassment is a very powerful motivating f factor of human psychology. Mm -hmm. For absolute sure. And I'm sure the huge like public embarrassment too, when you're a public official, you have this huge public profile, that's gotta be massively crushing. You probably yeah, look at the torture report. report. Look at the, the embarrassment with with um yeah. you know, um you know, the renditioning, the uh you know, the torturing, the euphemisms that went on there and how Bush tried to distance himself from that with the different with Condoleezza Rice and um yeah. It's mostly embarrassment. So, so what I will say about the balcony as regards to Nick and Lily, um, you know, she's obviously going to press him on it. What did you guys talk about on the three minutes? Why did you take him on the balcony where we couldn't hear what was going on? Nick's counter here is that he knew the KGB were watching and he wanted them to see him and Philby together on its face. This is a good reason. If he is advertising to the KGB that the two of them are having private conversations, this would give KGB more reason to, and it, this works, it does make the KGB more distrustful of Philby, which Philby, of course, would know that, which would give Philby more incentive to take Nick up on his deal. Mm -hmm. Nice and neat, good spy points there. Here's my quibbles. Um, first of off, first off, fire the person who didn't wire the balcony for sound. If this is the case, um, second, Nick didn't have any way to know that the balcony was not rigged for sound. Third, Lily should know that Nick couldn't know that the balcony wasn't rigged for sound. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that she lets him know now this is this is bad tradecraft here. She lets him know that. She lets him know that they don't know what they talked about on the balcony for that three minutes. I think that's bad, bad tradecraft and possibly the worst. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? He doesn't need to know that she doesn't know what they talked about. Mm -hmm. Good yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Um, after the first day of their interrogation, it becomes clear that Nick's wife. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so after the first day, there are going to be multiple days of interrogation. He's not being held or anything. He's going home to his wife. He's still leading his normal life outside of the business day of, of what they need to talk about. Uh, it becomes clear in the series that Nick's wife knows about Philby's betrayal and defection. Um, I wanted to look into that a little because I was thinking like, hey, uh, why, are you, why are you telling your wife this? Did you see what I said? Oh, tell me what you can tell me. What <laughs> she was in up to her eyeballs in that whole Vermilion affair, right? She and Nick staged that Vermilion defection to the British from the Nazis during the war 
as a kidnapping by the British Secret Service at that Istanbul nightclub. So she was up to her eyes and then became, I guess, his secretary or someone. But she was involved in that whole uh, Vermilion um, affair. And that's why she got the clue when, when and Elliot asked her to, you know, to, to set up so he could be at that Buckingham Palace art gallery, right? So she, when he heard him deliberately say Vermeer as Vermeeren to Anthony Blunt to see if it had the intended effect, Elizabeth knew. Remember when they went to dinner? She said, you said that on purpose. Because she knew about the Vermeerian affair. Okay. Uh, so she was. Catch, she knew the whole so, thing. Do you think she? So you think she has security clearance? Uh, I, at that point, I don't know, but okay. She was well, uh, an active agent and into that huge uh, Vermilion affair. Okay. By spiriting him out of the country. You know that one flashback to the war. Interesting. Okay. So. I'm not sure about that, but I, I did do my little research on like what you're allowed to tell your spouse if you're SIS. Um, the current yeah, it's policy- moot for it's moot for her. The whole that whole thing is moot for her because she was into it up to her eyeballs. Okay, you know what I'm saying. For maybe anybody else, but she was an active agent way back in World War II and knew about the whole affair, knew about Philby. How how does she know about Philby? I'm sorry. Help me out here. She was involved with the whole um, Vermillion affair, which was blown by Philby. She, but she scared I him out of the country. I'll say, I'll, okay, yeah. I'll say this, though. I don't think she needs, I don't think she is in a need-to-know situation here. Also, like he, like, probably, he probably figured, you know, with her... <laughs> She knows everything anyway, so was probably felt free to talk with her about those things because she I, knew so much and was part of the whole organization. I accept. So that. I, don't think, I, accept. I mean, I can understand what you're saying, but I don't think she's a good example of it. Okay. Okay. You know, I accept. I ex- totally accept what you're saying is totally valid counter argument, but I still want to make my case. I'm not going to try to convince you. That you're mistaken. I think you could totally be right, but I, I still just want to make the counter case if I can. Um, you particularly have been keying in on the fact of how very embarrassing this whole situation could be, mm-hmm. and um, I think Nick shouldn't be talking to anyone that he doesn't absolutely have to. And of course, maybe he just has that kind of relationship with his wife. I mean, apparently he does. I just want to, I just want to flag it as, as, as questionable, like right here today, like, like within days and like doesn't even really know what's going on and the embarrassment factor and everything. I agree. I agree with you with any Jane Doe wife. Yeah. But, uh, but she, but you're saying she's with her because she was an active agent with him and knew the whole story. And she even remember when they're at dinner and she got when he tried to trip up blunt with that saying that Vermeer wrong. Uh-huh. She knew damn well what he was doing. Well, she knew I, I mean I'll give you she she knows he's up to something. Um Yeah, but she was involved in that whole affair by you know, getting him out of the country. Okay. Um That was failing, a pretty failing that was a pretty get- action oriented scene too, you know. They staged it as a kidnapping at that Istanbul nightclub. 
Do you remember that scene? Oh my god! Staging a kidnapping. A oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was Elliot and his wife Elizabeth getting him out. And remember, oh. he had second getting so him I'm out. Just- now I'm just starting to think she's straight up is an SIS agent. Yeah. That, that he's married to. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, the debriefing continues. Uh, Lily presses into the affairs of Nick, uh, Flora Solomon, and Eileen Philby. That is uh, Philby's wife. Uh, in flashbacks, we find out that Eileen had started to pick up on Philby's odd behavior which often, um, you know, if you're a spy and you don't want your wife to know, uh, it can be beneficial in some relationships to have them think that you're having an affair. But often, if you're a spy, that's what it might look like to your spouse. They might, if you're a spy doing spy stuff and your spouse notices that something's going on, they're usually going to guess affair before they guess spy, right? Well, she sp- she splits hairs though. She claims he was a communist without being a Russian spy. Who's right? she? Because which which she are you talking about? Flora? Are we talking about Flora? Flora. Okay, Flora. Yeah, yes, Flora. Um, now, the Cambridge Five. Everybody knew. I mean, they knew, but so many of the British. It's just oh, that's youth, just youthful. You know, uh, you know, they, they everybody. I think they said that in one of the conversations. Everybody experimented in communism. And remember, it wasn't right. such a yeah, big yeah. stigma. But she always believed that um, Kim remained one. Right? And the rest of the British co-workers just thought, oh, he just that was just a dalliance he had as a youth, youthful indiscretion. But she splits hairs by saying, I never thought he was would, a, a Russian spy, but I thought he was, you know, sympathetic communist. Right. Sorry. So here's here's what happened though. Eileen, Philby's wife, started to suspect him of having an affair. Flora right. kind of take takes that. It seems to me that she takes that as an opportunity that she actually maybe does in the back of her mind suspect that Philby might be a spy and and puts it in Elliot's head. And Lily kind of thinks that even Elliot, under the guise of spying for the affair. She was saying, weren't you also kind of thinking maybe there was more to it than the affair when you were spying on him? Remember mm-hmm. Lily picked up on that too? Right. So yeah. So I think it's I think it's I think it's plus spy points all around uh for Flora for for you know, she doesn't want to say to Nick, like, hey, I think your best friend might be a spy. But when she does get this opportunity to uh uh the, yeah, the affair in, in, entrap uh, him I, into following Philby around surreptitiously and seeing what he's up to. She's not saying it out loud, but no. she is secretly like hoping like, God, I hope it is an affair. Yeah. Under and the guise of I, helping Philby's wife. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it gets even better because so Lily is totally like keyed in on this. And like you said, she's like, wait a second. Are, are you sure you didn't think he was a spy? Blah, blah, blah. So now she puts all these thoughts into his head about, you know, this Flora Solomon character. And then they break for lunch. And a little while later, 
someone comes in at the end of lunch, someone comes in to tell Nick that like, oh, she took off for the rest of the day. She had some business to do. What's what's her real what's her real play here, Fred? You want to tell us? She wants Nick to then go to Flores and then she'll monitor it. Yeah. Instead of going to lunch, she immediately went in, went out and called in a surveillance van mm -hmm. and parked yeah. across from Flora Solomon's house. And he totally falls for it. I think yeah. this is such a great tradecraft. Plus yeah. five points might be one of the best pieces of tradecraft I've seen. That was, yeah, yeah it's my number one. I put, down, I put it down as my number one. Lily's right. decision to bug Flora's house after she put seeds of doubt into Nick's head about her and deliberately does not return to SIS to give Elliot time to visit Flora so she can eavesdrop on them. That was my number one tradecraft. Mm -hmm. So uh, he does go to and talk with Flora and, uh, and Lily gets to hear this entire conversation uh, from across the street in the van. Mm -hmm. And um, she ascertains she ascertains the stuff that, that we talked about. Uh, yeah. Nick's visit with Flora is what makes him realize that Litzy, the suspected mistress of Kim Philby, was actually his KGB contact. Handler, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Philby met Litzy. Litzy's a German Jew, I believe. She's definitely, she's, I think she's German national, but she's, oh, wait, no, now I'm confused. Is she German? He meets her in Germany, <laughs> but she's, she's fighting for the resistance. So yep. maybe she's not German. Maybe she's Jewish or French. I wasn't sure. That might clarify it as to whether or not it's the same character that he meets again, that Philby meets again in Moscow, but they both do. They both have the exact same haircut and they're kind of the same type of look looking woman um so yeah and you had the note uh lily asked nick the important question why philby tells him all that background business in austria oh right when he could have just said it was an affair yeah all right um during this time again other people are interested now this actually seems like a coincidence but you know, master spies don't believe in coincidence, right, Fred? Yeah, right. Michael right. Whitney Strait, uh, over in the over in the U.S. of A. Uh, Michael Whitney Strait, another member of the Cambridge Five, comes in voluntarily and uh, confesses to the Americans. MI Five correctly notices that this is very suspicious timing. Um, yeah. Do you have anything to say on this timing? Do you know is why Strait comes in at this? point in time no other and but he gives blunt right isn't that where we hear about blunt he will he will uh yeah he will finger blunt yeah i'm guessing i'm guessing somehow he caught wind of maybe philby sent him a message or i don't know maybe somehow he got caught he got wind that philby was blown and if he knows that philby knows him he believes that philby is going to finger him and so he he might as well come in you know voluntarily instead of waiting for them to knock on his door um so this definitely lets mi5 know that the cia is aware of the situation 
And uh, Lily is informed that uh, James Angleton has set up an observation post near Nick's home. Um, here's a little little gripey minus five points thing. Uh, they show her a picture of James Angleton in his observation post. How did they get that picture, Fred? Don't ask me because I the whole thing never happened. Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you, oh, do you not think? Okay, I know that the Russia stuff that's going to happen later didn't happen. No, I don't think Angleton. I don't think Angleton was in England. Oh, really? During that time, yeah. I, I don't remember that. I don't remember that, that in the book. Was that in? Is Angleton even a main character in the book? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I don't think he sets up shop in England. Okay. All right. Um, Nick takes opportunity. So they go to an, uh, one evening, they go to an art show. Sir Anthony Blunt, by the way, uh, he's not intelligence. I mean, at least that's not his, uh, his cover. He is, he is in fact, another member of the Cambridge five. Um, but he's not, Yes, he's not SIS. He's not MI five. He's just this art historian. Yeah, and I, 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 he introduces Blunt introduces Her Majesties to Roger Hollis of M one five. Mm-hmm. Which caught my eye because he would later come under suspicion as being the sixth man in the book's right. Catcher. Right. At least in the first, I'll just say this: in the, at least the first three episodes of this show we don't get any indication that sir roger hollis is a double agent and uh again uh historically or based on wiki anyways it looks like he wasn't um now i'm not sure why nick is going after blunt this way um except that oh oh wait but nick does nick does know that blunt was involved so there was this situation long ago, you talked about it, where they uh, extracted a Vermeer. Russian Vermeer. Vermeer. Uh, yeah, Vermeer. Uh, Vermeer. Yeah, but they, they, he mispronounces it Vermeer just to get a charge out of a reaction out of. There, there was a situation in the past where Nick, Philby, and his wife Elizabeth. And Elizabeth and Sir Anthony Blunt were all involved in an attempted uh, defection of a Russian over to the West. Now, as we'll find out, uh, Philby uh, fucked that oh, guy over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, yeah. Because on the one hand, the guy was anti Nazi because he was. Catholic because of his Catholicism, mm -hmm. but that made him also anti-Russian. So that's why Philby fingered him, and you had that scene with the buses. Yes, right. So my thinking here is that it's Nick thinking back through his history of Kim Philby, thinking about the operations that they ran together, thinking about this particular one that maybe Nick thinks should have gone smoothly. And now, only now, he's questioning, wait a second, what happened? Was Did Philby fuck that guy over? 
which we know that he did as the audience. So, yep. but maybe Nick is just wondering about it and he's thinking, okay, how do I figure that out? He thinks, well, who else was involved in that operation? He says, ah, Sir Anthony Blunt. So what happens if I go and Sir Anthony Blunt, if, if Anthony Blunt is a spy and an associate of Philby's, he would know about Philby's defection. He would be on edge. And if I mention this, this operation to him, what's his reaction going to be? And so that's what he does. He, uh, and, and that super clever, uh, they're talking about the artist Vermeer. Yeah. He, he accidentally says Vermeeren. Yeah. And then he pretends he doesn't know what he said. Right. Um, so it does, it does noticeably shake blunt. Lily, who's also in attendance, notices that as well. And as you mm -hmm. said, Elizabeth, his uh, mm -hmm. next wife, also notices. After that situation at the art gallery, Lily confronts Nick about Angleton, and they have a heart-to-heart -heart in his basement, where I guess he thinks he can't be heard. He explains Vermeeren to her. He explains all the stuff that we just talked about. And... Uh, he tells her Blunt was in on it. Simultaneously, we as the audience see that Straight is fingering Blunt to the FBI. So we know as the audience, yeah, it, Blunt is is bad. And, uh, you know, and of course, you know, Angleton knows about it as well. Because uh, Angleton is getting all the information that the FBI is getting. Uh, she tries to get close to Nick with a late night visit to his apartment. He's open to her sideline advances for them to see the things the same way. Um, now, MI5 is not happy that CIA is involved, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're trying to avoid that. Philby is the enemy. CIA is the enemy. KGB is the enemy. Can't MI5 and SIS be friends in this situation? Friend or foe, Nick's wife asks him regarding Lily. He answers, she has potential. So he tells her the whole Vermeeren story. He credits Philby greatly with changing the course of World War II. He's basically telling her he's figured out that Philby betrayed Vermeeren and that Blunt is probably in on it. So that's what he's doing. He's scaring her about the idea that there are more Philbys out there and that it's more important for them to band together against you know other other people that might be uh you know bad seeds and especially to band together against the american um right so i always say that in a tv series it's usually the midpoint where things change dramatically at this point what's happened in the story is that uh, Nick and Lily have gone from being completely like antagonistic to each other to possibly being willing to cooperate a little. So that's Nick and Lily. Let's talk about what's going on with Philby over in Russia. Uh, he's being debriefed by Brontov. 
as we said before, the KGB are looking at the Beirut situation. They have all the same suspicions for all the same reasons. Um, the signed confession, the chicken feed, the doubts about what was talked about on the balcony. Um, they also have questions about Guy Burgess and Donald McLean. These are two members of the Cam Cambridge Five that were already blown. So if I have the timeline right, Fred, those guys were blown first. Kill Philby was the third to... McLe yeah, McLean was blown. Burgess was not, but he, Burgess was such a drunken asshole who, <laughs> you know, started fights and was a pain in the ass, decided to go with him anyway. And that pissed off Philby because he said, you didn't have to go. You weren't blown. And he was the one that they that Philby put up in their house for a while, and he came under scrutiny for that. Boy, he dodged a bullet there because Blunt was such an idiot um, and drunk. They would let him stay there at his house. Sorry, you said you said, you said Blunt, but you actually meant you meant uh, Burgess. Yeah, I meant Burgess, yeah. So uh, McLean was blown and ran. But Burgess didn't have to and, and ran with him. Yes, this was in 1951. Uh, now, at that point, uh, Philby was a liaison in Washington. So he was also getting access to very high-level American intelligence. Yeah. yeah. And, right. uh, uh, he learned that uh, Western Intel had broken some codes as something called the as part of something called the Verona Project. Mm. And he realized that uh, what was in those codes would mean that uh, McLean would be in trouble. And of course, that's well after 45. Remember the whole idea of keeping Americans thinking that, <laughs> right? you know, Philby was just involved up to 45, but you just said that was 51 and he was over there. Right. Now, as you said, uh, Burgess panics and defects along with McLean, even though he didn't need to. Right. The problem for Philby here is that Burgess was staying at his house. At right, the time, right. And they were known to be good friends. So Philby comes under actually very public scrutiny about whether or not he was involved in that, which, of course, he was. They had that press conference in mm -hmm. the home. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think part of the part of the reason why Philby dodged a bullet there is because Burgess was such a known, drunken, reckless asshole that a lot of that could explain that behavior. Who was the fifth? So I just want to get the five down real quick. So of the five, McLean and Burgess are blown first. Philby is the third. Blunt will be the fourth. Who's the fifth? No, that um, Philby be the fifth. Weren't they saying, aren't you the fifth man? Philby to be the fifth. Oh, but Blunt hasn't been blown yet. And it was, oh, it's a guy named Karen Cross. He wasn't identified oh. until the, he wasn't identified until the 90s. Oh my God. He was, he was the fifth? Karen Cross? That's what, that's what I got from. Uh, okay. All right. And Philby's so, the third? Philby's the third. Blunt will be the right. fourth. So wait, why isn't Karen Cross considered the most successful spy of all time? He, he, outlasted, 
he out, but yeah, but he outlasted Philby by by a quarter century. Yeah, maybe he just didn't do much. Right. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um. So yeah, the KGB wants to know about that story. Think um, about that though. Think about that. That's a movie in its own. Those five. But this was just taken. Oh, absolutely. The one guy, and just in the periphery, they mentioned the other guys. Think about that. You know, five, possibly six with Hollis. You know, that's huge. You know, that, I mean, it's beyond the Philby story is incredible enough, but the fact that there were five of them, (laughs) you know, it's just amazing. It boggles the mind. But that was the event, even though Philby managed to, uh, like, weasel his way out of uh, being busted for uh, alerting McLean and accidentally Burgess, uh, I think everyone agreed he should he should step down. So at that point, he's no longer a British intelligence agent. That's when he goes to Beirut as a journalist. Although he's yeah. still working for the KGB, he no longer has, like... Um, you know, the high level access that he did up until yeah. 1951. So yeah, just basically like in the Philby situation, you know, just we're seeing him step by step. He's being taken to Moscow first on the ship and then by train and the whole way his KGB handler Brontov is asking him questions about this, that I think, you know, they don't, the KGB, even though he's been working for them all this time at this point, they don't trust him. Right. So they they got all the same suspicions, um, and a pair of agents. Now, as he, he gets to Moscow, gets into gets set up uh, with that one creepy lady uh, <laughs> to take care of him. Sometimes I wonder if she's like actually like trained to like kill Philby if if something mm-hmm. goes south. <laughs> um, we see that a pair of agents who we don't find out right away, but it will later find out our reporting to Angleton are observing uh, Philby in Moscow. Um, most and take, take those codes that they talked about back in the day, or the poems, and turn them into codes to reach out to him. And he, Elliot, or Philby gave Angleton a book of poetry. And so they, they, they use that as a basis of the codes to reach out to him. Ah, oh, that's the significance of the book of poetry. Oh, yeah. of course, of course. And uh, apparently Angleton fancied himself a poet. Uh, yeah. He'd led the, you know, uh, edited the Elliot, Elliot looked down his nose at him and said, he's not, he's just a wannabe. Right, but that's, that's Nick's style. But Philby's style is to say, "Oh my God, you you you're kidding! You're amazing! Right. You're an amazing poet!" Because right. because that's what Philby does. He yeah. flatter he flatters and invites. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't didn't mention that uh, that name of that actor either. By the way, Guy Pierce. He's he's great. He's you know you talked about, and I agree with you. I agree with you that when I when you watch the previews, you think that. Uh, the one guy is going to be playing Philby and the other guy is going to be playing Nick. But when in the end of the day, performance wise, don't you think yeah, they're they both perfect? Yes. Yeah. They both do a good job. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, that's uh, Philby in Moscow. There's going to be more exciting stuff to talk about about him in the the last half of the series, which we'll talk about next month. Now we've got Angleton in 1963. So again, present day, this is right after Philby's defection. Angleton is also a longtime friend of both Nick and Philby. In fact, the the way the show portrays it, they were kind of like these three musketeers kind of guys, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, He's got this whole time, he's got a man in London who is surveilling all the other principal characters and reporting to Angleton what's going on. The man is never known for simplicity. I'm going to call him Russell Crowe because if you squint, he does look like a young Russell Crowe. Don't you agree? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. The first thing Russell Crowe sees is a quick meeting between Nick and a man that we presume, or at least Russell Crowe presumes is Russian. They traded a newspaper Crow follows that guy into a church where the guy who's being followed makes a clever coat switch. Did you catch that? As yeah. far as taking a tail, do you want to tell us how it works? Mm, no. Because <laughs> it kind of fooled me. <laughs> the guy goes into a church. Everyone is uh, deep in, I think the word is genuflectioned. Um yeah. And and since no one's paying attention and all eyes are forward, it's a very simple matter for him to take his coat off because people, you know, it's shitty London weather. Uh, everyone's got these big coats. Uh, take his coat off, set it on the bench, pick up one of the coats that one of the parishioners uh, dropped off, and leave out the side. Hey, coat switch, nice, yeah. nice uh, trade craft. Yes, nice trade craft. I think. I think. Crow realized that and he will, let's see, the man who I think was, okay, yeah, right. So, but it wasn't a Russian. It was a guy working for Nick. And that guy comes back and says, yes, I was being followed. Um, So the guy basically that he traded a newspaper with, like it was just basically a thing to see like, Okay, if I do this kind of like thing that, wow, what am I trying to say here? It's kind of like a brush pass, right? Where Mm -hmm. the idea is, when they trade the newspaper, the idea is that uh, no one's going to notice that you actually passed information. But here's Nick's genius. Nick is wondering if anybody is watching him so closely that they will notice this. And if they do notice it, they'll follow the guy that I traded a newspaper with, which he does. And then that guy is also a master spy that can tell if he's being followed and he can report back to Nick that, yes, I am being followed and it's Angleton who's behind it, which is all really clever, good plus spy points. However, just with the, with the one I don't understand, which is how do they know it's Angleton that's behind it? The guy comes back to Nick, says, yeah, I'm being followed. And uh, it's somebody, it's working for James Angleton. Total jump to conclusion. Minus five points. <laughs> but it's a total, like, minus five points in a whole bowl of, like, awesome spy points. Mm-hmm. Um, for the record, remember, and Lily knows this knows that uh, Angleton has set up his observation post 
outside of uh, or very close to Nick's house and probably can hear everything that's happening inside Nick's house. Lily is on to Angleton. We did know that she got the report that Angleton is doing this stuff. She confronts him. I don't think that served any purpose except to alert Angleton that his presence has been noted and that he's being watched. Possible minus five points for that. But there might be something I'm not getting here. I'm hoping maybe you'll be able to help me out with this. Right after she talks to Angleton, basically letting him know, we know you're in London. The next thing she does is she goes to Nick's house, which she knows that Angleton is listening to. So the only reason I can think of for her to have gone and confronted Angleton right before visiting Nick is to to, in a subtle way, say like, hey, asshole, you might want to listen to what I talked to Nick about, right? Yeah. But in the conversation that I see with her and Nick, I don't see anything that she's uh, providing why or she, eliciting from Nick. Uh, why she'd want him to know that? That she would want Angleton to know. Right. So. Right. It's. She knows that her conversation with Nick will be heard by Angleton, but Nick doesn't know that. It would be, I would call it masterful tradecraft, except I wasn't able to catch exactly what it is that she... To, to what end, right? To what end. To what end. So at the end, like it's something I think looks like really great tradecraft, but isn't. And maybe it's just something that slipped out of the edit. Yeah. Um, now, Nick doesn't know that, uh, or no... Well, Nick knows that Angleton's in town, so maybe the fact he takes her down to the basement is just out of, you know, just super precaution. Yeah. This is where, back to Nick and Lily, where they have their heart-to-heart. -heart. It's unclear to me if Angleton heard any of this. I'm not sure it's even important. just want to flag it in case it comes up later. So, uh, but what no, he does... I guess yeah. not if they went down to that basement or whatever it was, right? Well, who knows? I don't like I I don't know what the I don't think the show makes it clear whether how much of the conversation Angleton heard. Yeah. And I'm not sure it's important either. No. Um but it I feel like it should be. It should have been. I I just think there's some there's something missing there. If I'm looking for flaws in this in this series, which I don't think there are very many, other than the fact that it's very, very complicated, uh that would be one of them. Um, yeah, and wrapping up Angleton at the end of episode three, uh, the very last scene, I think, is uh, we find out that he is communicating versus via Morse code, uh, as you say, also using a, a layer of um, an, an extra layer of decryption uh, by it being poetry passages, right, that Angleton would understand the significance of and, and no one else would or, you know, his agents. Uh, in Moscow. Um, and But that's the last thing we get at the end of episode three. Angleton finds out that Philby is uh, uh, reaching out to him. Uh, and, that, and that's where it loses, That's where they lose me. Because it never happened. And it's the last thing, it's the last thing we can talk about here because that's really, that's, that's really it. That's, that's the, that's the series here. It is going to open up that final subplot in Moscow, which was not in the book, did not happen in history, 
we're really not sure why they put it in here, except I, when we get to it, I am going to have strong opinions and thoughts about it, but that'll be next month. But for right mm-hmm. now, let me just ask you like that subplot that we're going to talk about next month. I know you're annoyed by the fact they included it, but didn't, did you not in, enjoy it just as a piece? Of I drama? said, I said, it's great. It's a great plot point. Excellent. Okay. If this was okay. fiction, but my point was it wasn't necessary. The story is so over the top to begin with that it didn't need any um, embellishment. Um, in fact, I think it weakens the whole thing. Uh, yeah, it's a great plot point if it was fiction. Cool. Triple agent, you know? Let's see if we can turn him now that he's there. And yeah. the whole Jesus the Jesus Christ thing, you know, using and if it as... Anybody, dude, if anybody has the balls to try to pull off a triple cross like this... It is Kim Philby, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's great. Great plot point. Right. Just didn't happen. Well, right. Fred, that's the first three episodes of um, A Spy Among Friends, a show that I thoroughly enjoyed and uh, look yeah. forward. I look forward to watching again in the future. Of mostly, yeah. I, mostly, I I think TV series, miniseries, a lot of times they're like one and done. I've seen it. I don't need to watch it again. But uh, I, I do look forward to watching this one again someday. So we're going to do the next three next time? That's right. That's right. Okay. And then uh, possibly The Old Man. Uh, the Old Man coming out next month. You guys know if you've been listening to this show, me and Fred are big fans. That was one of the first ones we did together, right? Yeah. 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 We're excited about that. So, yeah, this is very quickly turning into uh, from a primarily movie discussion podcast into a uh, TV series discussion podcast. They can fit in so much more. You know? They can fit in so much more and it feels like the the more realistic stuff. We get more of the realistic stuff out of TV series, I think, than than movies in general. Not to say that Mm -hmm. there aren't some really, really great realistic movies out there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Fred, thank you so much. Uh, Yeah. Glad to. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.